Welcome to the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about the life, theology, and practice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle, and my guest today is Dr. Edward Van Slott. Dr. Van Slott is the Special Chair for Systematic Theology and 21st Century Ecclesiology at the University of Groningen, and the author of Negativism of Revelation, Bonhoeffer and Bart on Faith and Actualism. Dr. Van Slott, thank you so much for joining me. I'm glad to be your guest. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is exciting for me. I so I've recently started to do my PhD at the University of Aberdeen, and um, I have interviewed my my current dissertation advisor, Dr. Philip Ziegler. I've interviewed him before, um, and every once in a while, he he will reach out to me with a book and saying, "Hey, uh, this is this is a really good book. You should have this person on the podcast." So uh, this is before we even started to do this whole doctoral program. He sent me sent me a few months ago saying, hey, you should check out this book. And it's perfect because I'm currently working on Bonhoeffer Soteriology. So as I as I joined the program, he asked me, what are you reading? I was like, I'm reading that Edward Van Slott book that, that you sent me. And he was like, oh, perfect. Just read that. <laughs> and we'll talk about it in a few weeks. Um, so yeah, I've tons of questions and uh, I've learned so much from your book already. So this should be fun. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so your this book is your your dissertation. Yeah. It is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, so how did uh, what's the process there? Uh, how did you discover Bonhoeffer, and what led you to write this dissertation? Yeah. Well, uh, how I discovered Bonhoeffer is just as as a student, just, just as you did probably. I. Well, I can I can tell a little story about it. It was the name connected to it is Stephen Williams. You may know his name. He's he was from Oxford at the moment, I think. He later went to Belfast, so it must have been in 1994, I think. I was a, a quite young student then, and he had a quote in a, in a, he was he was uh, on a conference in the Netherlands on reconcili- reconciliation, which he was uh, writing at the moment. And this was a Bonhoeffer quote, and I didn't know Bonhoeffer, didn't know mm. him well. I, I, I heard his name mentioned, but I didn't know him well. But this quote from Ethics about what Christ did on the cross really uh, intrigued me. And then I went to the bookstore and bought <laughs> the Ethics. Well, and the rest is history, you could say. <laughs> and uh, so I, I started reading him reading, 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 puzzling, and I've never stopped that. And that was, uh, so that led me to write. I also was very much interested in Karl Barth and his theology. Um, And I knew that both of those favorite uh, scholars uh, were connected to each other, Mm -hmm. that they had, 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 well, Bonhoeffer was, was clearly influenced by Karl Barth, uh, they had met, they had corresponded, but I didn't really get the point of their difference. What 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 was really their difference? Where where did they really? Well, um, was it so big as it seemed to be at the moment? And um, 
there was, of course, the, the book by uh, Andreas Pangrits about uh, Barth and Bonhoeffer, but I was really interested in, in the young Bonhoeffer, and there were questions in the young Bonhoeffer's book, Act and Being, for instance, uh, which uh, Pangrits didn't cover, and I thought, well, I feel this is this might be important. I just have to sort it out. So uh, there was a question, and I had to find the, the the answer myself. I think, and that was the reason why I why I started writing in my dissertation. That's great. You also mentioned in your uh, at the beginning of your book, your dissertation, um, that you're trying to figure out. The, between the differences of what you call fides qua and fides qua yes. um, and, and how those things work together. Um, I'm wondering if you could uh, tell us a bit more about that, about your questions. Yeah. I'm, I do hesitate a little about how to answer that <laughs> one. Um, when I was working on this, I had a short presentation for other scholars or uh, for tutors and mentors in, uh, in the, the Netherlands. And I was, I was um, telling them about my interest in Bart and Bonhoeffer and, and my questions. And um, one of those uh, people there had a really, I found very irritating, but also uh, I think it is also a, a justified question. Uh, the question, uh, yes, but why, why do you want to know this? And why do you want to, that I know about this Bonhoeffer-Bart debate? What's, mm -hmm. what's going on there? What's the interest for me? And when I was puzzling that question, for, so why do I want to tell others about, about the Bart-Bonhoeffer discussion? Mm -hmm. uh, what's, the, what's in it for us now? Um, I had the intuition that this might be, connected with, uh, with the um, concept of faith. Um, it, it was an intuition and I think it was quite an, uh, a lucky intuition. So uh, when I, when I uh, explored that one, I came of course on the issue of Fides Qua, Fides Qua, or how do you pronounce it in English? Uh, I mean, it's Latin, but, so I just, I just yeah. guessed. Yeah. Um, and, and I felt, well, this, this touches on the, on the critique of Bonhoeffer, by he, the point of critique in Bonhoeffer, and mm. he is not the only one who criticizes Barth for being too, too uh, dismissive of faith. Oh, one question real quick. Uh, yeah. Just to, I, I need to backtrack just a second. Yeah. Could you define fides qua? Fides qua? I figured yeah. <laughs> for people listening, maybe the, uh, <laughs> I don't know I how to pronounce it correctly. So people listening probably don't know what it is. Better. Uh, I was uh, I was going to to. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, well, uh, for Barth, of course, there is this this uh, this well known um, situation that he is. The revelation is everything, of course. Mm. It is very important that God chooses to reveal himself to us. And we can, we can, well, can we know about him? That's, of course, one of the questions all people always ask uh, to the younger Bart. Does it conceptualize or do, does, it, does it remain in one or another way? 
that what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have experienced in Revelation. And one of the familiar uh, ways of, of, uh, of answering that question is by the Fides Quae um, answer, mm. which says that, well, we have our faith, we have our, our, our um, credos, how do you, uh, our, what's the word in English? Our uh, Doctrines, the, the content of yes, the faith, Yes, of right? course, the doctrines, yes, the content of the faith, which you can write down, and that's faith written down, so to say. It's a bit simple to put it that way, but that's fides quae. Mm-hmm. What do we believe? Well, that there it is. There you can you and you can also say whether people do believe it or don't believe it, whether they are and from that you can infer whether they are Christians or they whether they aren't. Well, that's not that's not Bart's answer. Should certainly not the young Bart's answer. And it was a problematic answer already in the whole of the 19th century. But there is also the, the feeling that faith is more than only doctrine, only content. It's uh, w- what faith is really about is, of course, trust, mm. that you trust in God, in the Lord. That's the fides qua side of the, the answer. And for instance, Schleiermacher in the 19th century really stressed that aspect of faith and said, well, um, Fides qua has, so to say, its own, its own mm, epistemology, you might even say. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's really good phrased, but it's, it has its own right. And, you, and theology borders upon, on, borders upon uh, what, what Fides qua is about. And how do you, and theology expresses Fides qua, so to say. Well, uh, Karl Barth is quite near to Schleiermacher in many respects, but he is also very critical on this point and says, well, if Fides qua, the beauty of my trust in the Lord uh, has to <laughs> reconcile with me with the Lord. Well, we've seen where, how, how that went wrong in the First World War, of, of course, in the Great War. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, he was very critical about this Fides qua uh, approach as well, you could say. He also makes funny remarks about this Fides qua, Fides qua distinction in, in I've main, I think, the, uh, the uh, preface of uh, Church Dogmatics 1.1. So he, does, he, he is very um, f- suspicious of making too much work of the concept of faith in theology. Mm. And I thought that Bonhoeffer being very loyal to Karl Barth, very inspired by him and very, um, yeah, well, he, he does, he, he agrees with him on the point that when there's no revelation, well, we have we have nothing. We cannot say, talk about the Lord at all. We don't. We well, and this revelation, this uh, this actualist understanding of ref- revelation, as as you find in Karl Barth, that it has to to occur again and again. So to say, you have to be in contact with the Lord to come in contact with the Lord again and again. Uh, Bonhoeffer is very. Um, 
well, he's very grateful for that insight, I think. He, it, it has a liberating impact on him. But he does feel that when we have been, <laughs> well, when, when revelation had a, has occurred to us, so to say, uh, well, then what remains is not, not only uh, a whole realm, as uh, Karl Barth says, the young Karl Barth says, only, well, an empty, empty hole after mm -hmm. revelation, but that what remains is faith. Mm -hmm. Might be faith, and but what is that then? And that's what Bonhoeffer. There is a difference on the between Bonhoeffer and Barth from from the very beginning. I think of that point. Mm. Wow, <laughs> that's so interesting. Um, <laughs> in your book, you start out kind of dealing with the young Bonhoeffer and acting being, and you mentioned it just a second ago when you're kind of laying out a little bit of what the argument of acting being is that mm -hmm. Bonhoeffer is trying to it seems like modified Bart's doctrine of revelation that um, he sees, he, he doesn't want to be able to start from the self to uh, have any sort of human categories or faculties that have access to revelation. So he's, yeah. he's definitely leans more to the Bartian side, but yeah. he thinks that uh, Bart is saying that when God reveals himself, that's the only time you can really know God. Um, and then Bonhoeffer is asking, okay, what about, you know, if he revealed himself on Sunday uh, and then he reveals himself again on Thursday, do I have any sort of contact with him, any sort of relationship? And do I have faith in between those days? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that seems to be, I interviewed, uh, the, the only way I know that is because I interviewed Michael DeYoung um, like a long time oh, yeah. ago. <laughs> he yeah. helped me through that. Um, but so you you lay out that um, Bonhoeffer's critique of Bart is uh, quote a, a negativism of revelation. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what what do you mean by that? What does negativism of revelation mean? Well, it's a bit playful, uh, of course, uh, to mm -hmm. to to use those words because I was interested in the end. Of course, I was interested in what Bart what Bonhoeffer says about this positivism of revelation thing in the prison letters what what is this uh, and i had the idea i hoped that that reading act and being might be helpful for uh, for interpreting that phrase positivism of revelation but when i studied act and being and saw that he, that all his critique is is uh, all his criticism is uh, well against this idea of revelation um, that revelation always um, renounces that the word renounces faith mm -hmm. yeah. that, that it's all, all always working negative upon all the things we have said or thought about Christ and God and and, and revelation um, it, it turns us in the wrong anytime. <laughs> And well, uh, it's a bit, a bit hard, harsh formulated in this way, but that, and but that, that is, is that kind of is the critique of Bonhoeffer. And well, I thought that's not positive, positivism of revelation. Revelation is not doing anything positive in this sense, then that's that, that's you might call it negativism of revelation earlier than that. That's just a thought I had. And when I worked at that, I thought, well, might be a nice title for the, uh, mm -hmm. 
for the project because well does this negativism of revelation then also explain what what woman means with positivism of revelation was a question of course but this was the reason why i found this title and this this uh, term that's great um yeah, yeah. Um, you, you go throughout your whole book um, detailing sort of the various encounters uh, that Bonhoeffer has with Bart and um, plenty of his critiques and um, sort of their interaction between their thought. I, I have some questions just for me, for my, for my own homework. Um, yeah. in, your, in your book on page 51 and 52, you, you write about this encounter that Bonhoeffer has with Bart about uh, the idea of universal reconciliation um so i will i will show my cards here i've actually I, i've told i told you the story off air but i've actually never told the story on the podcast so people listeners will probably think this is interesting um mm-hmm. so i i came to bonhoeffer after reading um Metaxas's biography and life together so um it was a very um like a very small sample size of Bonhoeffer scholarship, if you can call it that. Um, uh, so I, yeah, I like came, I, I was just interested and I started work, uh, started my master's program at, at Whitworth University in, in Spokane, Washington. And uh, my first class I had with uh, my professor, the lecturer was a, a BART scholar and he, uh, he lectured on uh, Karl Barth's doctrine of election. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd never heard that. I've never, I'd never heard of it ever. So I have like plenty of questions, plenty of pushback, you know. And uh, he he just kind of answered all of it. And then at, at lunch, he said, hey, um, I know that uh, you're interested in Bonhoeffer. And throughout that lecture, he was speaking of term, in terms of reconciliation as his primary um, mm-hmm. way of describing salvation. Um, so I, he said, so now you kind of understand where, where Bonhoeffer gets it. And I thought, whoa, what do you mean? Um, <laughs> that, that's nothing like the, the person, you know, the, the thoughts that I thought Bonhoeffer had about anything. This is, this is way different from Metaxas' Bonhoeffer that I got into this knowing. Uh, I've learned very, very quickly in doing this podcast and talking to plenty of Bonhoeffer scholars that um, <laughs> my view of Bonhoeffer when I first started was way, way off. Um, and I've, I've learned so much in this process, but, um, so, but all that to say, um, so I, I read all of Bonhoeffer and I worked on that master's thesis and I read it with that view in mind that Bonhoeffer agreed with Bart on these things. And then, um, I interviewed, uh, Devin Maddox. Um, he's a, um, PhD student at, the, at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I, I sort of asked him off air, what do you think about this? And he said, Oh, I, I don't think so. And then I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. And then I thought, oh, well, is this just another situation for Bonhoeffer studies where uh, people make out a Bonhoeffer in their own image kind of thing? Uh, either side, was Devin doing that or was my professor doing that? Well, what's the real understanding here? And then I went back and uh, I emailed a bunch of people I'd interviewed already. And then I, I've asked every person off air that I've interviewed now, and I've gotten a different answer. Yes, no, who wouldn't be interested in that? I've gotten a different answer from everyone. So that that has kind of spurred on uh, wanting to do this research on a soteriology and find out answers to that and just as seri- soteriology in general. All that to say, you, um, coming across your book was really helpful because there were bits in there that I had never 
heard about. Um, specifically, you mentioned it a few times in your book that uh, Bonhoeffer likely read uh, Church Dogmatics 2-2, or the, the proofs of it, um, in their final meeting, and that, that, uh, that quite a bit of the ethics portion kind of seeps into Bonhoeffer's own book, Ethics. Yeah. Um, I found that really interesting um, because the furthest I got to answering that question was in uh, Eberhard Betke's volume. Um, there's a little paragraph there where he was, he says, uh, well, we can't know for sure if he's read this, but, and he says, but based on sort of his responses earlier about election and predestination yes. and things like that, um, we can assume that he agrees. It says something like he agrees about the positive charismatic nature of these things or something like that. Um I don't have it with me at the moment, but so that's, that's about as, as far as I've gotten. And then, mm-hmm. but in your book, you, you laid out that case and I found it really interesting. All that to say, I wanted to ask you a few questions about that, that paragraph that you, you write uh, about, you say, and, and what was to be his last discussion with Karl Barth on May 25th, 1942, he referred to the theme of universalism, probably because of the first part of uh, Church Dogmatics 2.2. Yeah. And according to a later account of this meeting by Bart and his assistant, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte von Kirschbaum, Bonhoeffer asked, quote, do you believe that everything will be ultimately restored? Will it be like Lake Geneva? To which Bart replied, yes, like Lake Geneva. So I, I have a few questions there. Um, yeah. First, uh, what, what is that re- reference to Lake Geneva? Is it just was was Lake Geneva restored? Or uh, is it just beautiful? And Bonhoeffer is asking, will it be beautiful? What's he asking? Yeah, I think he, he, he has been in Geneva, of course, in, in these um, travels, during these travels to Switzerland. And it's beautiful over there. It's so beautiful. So I don't think that, that anything was restored over there speci- uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he, he did probably think something like, well, um, heaven must be like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my so, first thought. I uh, was, yeah, I was, um, yeah. I, I was talking to my dissertation advisor, um, yeah. Dr. Paul Ziegler, and we were, we, were, we were talking about this, asking like, does yeah. he, yeah, just that question. Is, is yeah. it just beautiful or is, was it um, restored at some point in history? Yeah. No, no, I yeah. don't think just, so. I don't know about it, but I don't think so. It's, it, I, I was thinking about uh, an hymn which you know, we have in Dutch, but you have it, uh, which we have translated from the English. And um, I, I looked it up for you. Uh, this hymn in the Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. I don't know whether you hmm. know that song, but there's a, there's one of the verses saying, O Sabbath rest by Galilee, O calm of hills above, where Jesus knelt to share with thee the silence of eternity interpreted by love. Hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> those hills around the lake it's so beautiful heaven must be like that i think that's the answer so the final restoration will <laughs> must be something like that uh, and and Karl Barth was probably delighted by the image and said oh yes yes that must be that must be it yes <laughs> <laughs> excellent uh, i think so yeah so another question about that um there's a footnote there and you kind of reference 
um, other places where Bonhoeffer writes about uh, the recapitulation of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, I followed that, that citation to yeah. Act and Being, um, where you cite. And because Act and Being is just so inaccessible, if you're not really, really familiar with it, yeah. um, I figured I would ask you uh, what, what's going on in this citation. So I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, it, is, it says, our discussion of the Actus Directus as something that can never be captured in reflection, and he's in parentheses, I cannot capture the act in myself, not to mention in someone else, close parentheses, and of an infant baptism as a faith that excludes itself, allows a perspective to open up in which not all roads appear to be blocked to the eschatology of, and I'm going to butcher this word, um, apocatastasis, apocatastasis, that's it. Um, And then he says, and yet this very talk of apocatastasis may never be more than the sigh of theology whenever it has to speak of faith and unfaith and election and rejection. What does he mean by that? Especially the, um, specifically the, the sigh of theology in regards to those things. I, I, I didn't understand that. And I think, oh, figured if anyone knew, you probably did. <laughs> yes, I think I did. <laughs> well, there's also always more to be uh, discovered, but I think I do understand him here. Um, well, one of the of the nice things of this page is that he just has quoted his, his favorite 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 uh, Luther quote mm. uh, about the uh, what does it say in English? I have it here. Um, um, that the curses of the godless sometimes sound better in God's ear than the hallelujahs of the pious. Mm-hmm. You. Um, Bonhoeffer is writing in these pages about the distinction or the the differences between belief and unbelief, faith Mm -hmm. and not faith. And in the end, we we do have to talk about these differences because it, of course, it does matter whether whether you have faith or whether you haven't. Mm -hmm. But he does indicate that there may be persons who we, whom we would call faithless, without faith, mm-hmm. godless, but their curses might be nearer to God than our pious hallelujahs sometimes. Mm. They may connect to God through their curses in ways which a pious person may only dream about, so to say. Mm. So we we must be open to the idea that those persons who of who, who we would say they don't believe really or they are not full of faith that they are full of faith and that they are reconciled to god in this to god in this marvelous way and um so that's the sigh of theology he is talking about uh and der theologie in 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 German, hmm. and uh, we can, so you cannot system systematize it. You cannot say, well, of course, there's this rec- reconciliation, this apocaptastasis pantone. There's this reconciliation of everything and and everybody. 
but you have to be open to the possibility that there might be more reconciliation possible <laughs> than, we, than we would possibly think, so to say. I think that's, that's his answer in act and being. That's great. Well, thank you for that. Um, that's, that helps me a lot. Um, okay. We can continue on with your book, though. Um, yeah. you, you write extensively on the various interactions of Bart with Bonhoeffer. And so given all of these interactions and all their writings and contexts and the negativism of Revelation early on, um, how, what does that lead you to understand uh, to be Bonhoeffer's meaning in that final phrase about Bart? in the letters and papers when he accuses Bonhoeffer, he accuses Bart of having a positivism of revelation. What, what, what does that well, mean? I, uh, some of the, of the, of the issues of the points we have already touched upon. So uh, mm. we will, I will connect to those, I think in mm. my answer. Um, one of the things is that this point of you can't systemize ev everything. Mm. Um, I do think that Bonhoeffer uh, did uh, expect that Bart was systemizing too much. Hmm. For instance, on this apocatastasis point, I don't say that he was right in this. I don't think that Bart was so such a systematic thinker in this respect as Bonhoeffer suspected. Hmm. But I do think that, that the, there is this critique in it as well. But uh, the more important, important point, I think, is that um, uh, what we already uh, talked about is uh, the difference between faith. Well, uh, we were talking about the importance of faith and um, faith is something different than only fides quae or only theology. It's a bit too 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 short to say that fides quae and theology are the same, but they are they are on on the same level in a, in a way. Mm. Um, by not by not um, allowing any room for the uh, uniqueness, so to say, of faith. Um, Bart uh, connects theology and faith too much with each other. He is it, the later Bart is more positive about theology at all and the possibilities of theology. Mm -hmm. So we can know uh, things about God. We can speak about Him. We can write uh, thick dogmatic books about God and Revelation. Um, and he also knows why we can. That's because the, there is the church who has belief and who has uh, the church who has uh, these uh, doctrines, those doctrines, these doctrines. Um, but it's a matter, of course, it touches your heart, but it is a matter of intellect as well, those those doctrines. And you write about, about them and that's... A, an intellectual thing you do. Mm. And Bonhoeffer, I think that this is what Bonhoeffer would call positivism of revelation, that revelation is being written about, being talked about, being thought about in primarily intellectual 
uh, ways. Mm-hmm. And what Bart has less room for, he has room for it, but he doesn't really make as much work for it as Bonhoeffer wants, wants um, is that faith is something that which, which well, is, is alive in your, in your life, in your daily life, in your, uh, when you're out on the street and meet people, uh, revelation might occur to you in that way as well. And you can't always find the intellectual terms for that. Mm. In acting, in, 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 well, in praying and so on. Bart does say things about that, but he, he, his prior movement is always this intellectual movement. And I think that Bonhoeffer is, crit- is uh, critical about that because that is not the way in which the church will work, it, will have to work it out in the next uh, few decades, is his opinion. Hmm. So I think that this borders on what he might mean with, uh, with, with this quite uh, difficult uh, phrase of positivism of revelation. I need quite some words for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it seems... You, you lay out in your book that there's there's been a lot of scholarship as what mm-hmm. does this phrase mean um, yeah it's been it's been puzzling but um, yeah yeah it was, well, I hope it will be well helpful with how I definitely. how I connect to those <laughs> yeah definitely um, it, it, it it makes perfect sense when you lay out the full argument it's it's yeah. great so thank you so I was wondering uh, you start out your your book with the question of um, fides quae fides qua um, mm-hmm. so how does this working from negativism to positivism of revelation and understanding, how, how does the relationship with Bart and Bonhoeffer end up answering your questions about fides quae and fides qua? Um, well, I do learn from both of them. So I, I, I do agree with Bart on, on some points as well. Um, more with Bart than Bonhoeffer than on Bonhoeffer on some points. But the the main thing I I really appreciate in Bonhoeffer is that he opens some some room, so to say, to to think positively about human phenomena, so to say, mm-hmm. uh, such as the church with all its human uh, things in it. Um, <laughs> uh, for Bart, for he is positive about the church as well. Of course, he has many positive things to say about anything you, can, you could mention about faith, uh, church, and so on. But there is always this critical um, instance, this critical um, su- suspicion or, or uh, this critical idea that when revelation occurs, then everything might turn out well different. Mm-hmm. It's a bit. It's always. It's it's a bit. Again, a bit too harsh to state it in this way. But the cr- revelation is critical on everything. Wh- what we can have to uh, could could possibly say about God, Church, uh, faith, and so on. Um, this negativism of revelation is still um it is still there also in his later writings i think and it is related to this positivism thing i think well bonhoeffer does create room to to 
to work out positively what faith, what action, uh, ethical actions, what, um, uh, I forget the word, gehorsam in German. Uh, you, you have to have faith and you uh, have to be obedient, of course, the obedience. Mm -hmm. what, what obediency is, uh, Bonhoeffer has more room to, to explore on that and to, to think about it in, in, without uh, always having in mind, well, it might be totally different as well. Now, if God has connected him, his self, God self to those human factors, so to say, then we can trust that he will be connected to what we are thinking about that. Yes. So something like that is, I think, the gain of, uh, of Bonhoeffer. That's great. Um, I have one last question. Well, I have two questions, but one mm -hmm. last related to this. So I have this, uh, I have a Patreon, which allows people who listen to the podcast to contribute um, to sort of funding the podcast. Um, and I, I do throw out um, usually about a month in advance, whenever I line up one of these interviews, I say, mm -hmm. hey, this is the person I'm interviewing next. I'm going to talk to him about this book. Do you have any questions? And um, usually, I, so far, I haven't gotten really any questions, but I had I had someone uh, write out a question um, for you. So uh, yeah, great, that's great. great. Um, <laughs> so one of our patrons, Chris Baker, wants to know about the um, how practical acting being is. For, for Bonhoeffer being such a a practical theologian writing in discipleship and life together. It seems very concrete and everything, mm -hmm. um, but act and being seems awfully abstract. So is there anything in, in uh, act and being that we could take to sort of influence our daily lives? I think act and being is a very important book for, well, let's be a bit uh, rough and tough. Uh, for any Bonhoeffer scholar, mm -hmm. because uh, it, it's it's also a very arrogant book. Is that the word? Arrogant. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. So it's it, you are uh, Bonhoeffer was twenty five years old or, or so, and writing those very very complicated things, uh, which imply that he knew everything about everything, so to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> well. It's a bit arrogant and it's very complicated. I do agree with that. But uh, he does make some decisions about his own method, I think, in this book, especially in this book, which really helped him in construing his theology. I don't like that phrase. In, in thinking through theological questions mm. uh, in the future. I think this, this the model, the model of you always have to bear in mind the act side of things and the being side of things. Um, this model really helps him in, in doing theology in the future. So that's one of the uh, answers. Um, the other answer is that the, the, the role of the church in this book is quite, well, quite flabbergasting maybe <laughs> it's it, it it looks like a very academic work but when you you you're only when you've only read a few pages you will uh, bump into christ christ as he is believed in the church 
um, as as the one who turns every question upside down. And um, in the church, all our epistemic and epistemological questions will come to rest, so to say. Every act and being um, question which philosophy cannot in the end answer, you will find, well, you will find answered in Christ. Um, that's not to say that we know the answer and that we have the answer, but we, in answer, those questions come to rest in, in Bonhoeffer's opinion. So the role yeah. the church is playing there for theology, I find this very inspiring. Also, although this is how 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 how, <laughs> how arrogant and irritating the book may be, I find this very inspiring in it. But of course, when Bonnef went to America right after writing it, and then saw uh, the ethical questions in New York. Mm -hmm. And the divisions in the church, and and well, then of course he realized how important ethical questions were, and that's what this is what he criticized uh, in Act and Being later on that it's that ethics is not explicit in it, but mm -hmm. I do think it is implicit in it. Hmm. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. One last question for you. And um, this is yeah. more of a fun one to get some book recommendations. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a little game of desert island. Um, if you were trapped on a desert island and you could only bring one book by Bonhoeffer, so a primary source and uh, one book about Bonhoeffer, a secondary source. So any secondary source, it could be a biography or it could be a theology book similar to yours or something yeah. like that. What two books would you take and why? Well, the my first acquaintance with Bonhoeffer was with the ethics and the, this remains the source book for me mm. so when I have to go to this island I hope not too long <laughs> <laughs> with only two books <laughs> then I, I I really think I would take the ethics uh, also because it's always uh, such surprising stuff in it uh, or, or also, when I read passages for over and over again, I, I, I still will see new things in it. So I, will, I would choose ethics, certainly. Right. And, and the second source uh, book would be this one. I, I, you, I can show it to you, but you can't, um, of course, see it in the podcast. It's uh, by uh, Rothausen, Gerard Rothausen who was one of the first Bonhoeffer scholars in the Netherlands. I've never met him. He already died before I knew, before I ever even started to study theology, but it's one of the first, well, so to say, complete theologies of Bonhoeffer, written in Dutch, I'm afraid, with a beautiful uh, title, Aristocratisch Christendom, Aristocratic Christianity. <laughs> and well, I do like the way in which he is exploring Bonhoeffer. And when I was starting to read Bonhoeffer and found this book in the library, it really helped me exploring Bonhoeffer. And I ex expect on this uh, lonely island that it will help me exploring Bonhoeffer once more from fresh perspectives. So I would take this one. Great. 
<laughs> awesome. Thank you. Uh, that, that name is Rothausen. Can you spell yeah. it for me? R-O-T-H-U-I-Z-E-N. Rothausen. Perfect. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm not you. sure whether he has written any books in in English or is translated in English. But when we were in uh, in Stellenbosch in uh, Cape Town last year, there were a few people, uh, Alan Busak, for instance, who have studied in Kampen, and they mentioned him with great well uh, gratitude. So he was quite a, a fellow in the Bonhoeffer world, so to say. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thank you for yeah. that. Um, well, that's all the questions I have for you. I really appreciate you taking the time. I, your book blew me away. I, it's given me so much to think about. And, um, you know, very I'm welcome. So thankful for it. So I appreciate it. The book, again, is uh, Negativism of Revelation Bonhoeffer and Bart on Faith and actualism um so yeah uh if if anyone has any questions they could probably find your contact on google or something like that if they want to follow up about your book for anything any reason very welcome great all right well thank you so much for just taking the time to do this and uh, hopefully we'll be in touch soon i hope so thanks Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonhoeffer Podcast. And thank you to Dr. Renslot for coming on. I also wanted to provide an update about the Patreon. Our Bonhoeffer reading group that we've been talking about for the past few episodes is actually starting next week. And each patron that contributes $3 or more per month will get access to the audio for these bi-weekly reading discussion groups. So that's about two extra episodes a month. So we would love to have you follow along with us as we read through Bonhoeffer in chronological order. We are starting on volume nine. Uh, and for the first episode, we've read pages one through 200. Um, so we'll be talking about that uh, next week. And then uh, you, if you subscribe for the $3 a month, you will get access to that audio. Also, uh, for a, for a dollar a month, um, you can get access to the Bonhoeffer podcast Discord. And if you're new to Discord, Discord is similar to Slack. It's sort of a chat service that will allow us to stay in touch about um, our current studies. Currently in the Discord, there are five or six of us um, that are mostly graduate students or postgraduate students. Um, so we would love to have you join us and to continue to grow this community of people who are researching Bonhoeffer or just have questions or just a layperson that just is interested. Um, we would love to continue to to study these things together. Also in the Discord, I try to give a preview of upcoming interviews of who I have booked um, and uh, give the opportunity to ask questions. As you heard on this episode, we had a question from a patron. So uh, lots of opportunity to, to get connected more and um, to learn from each other. If you're interested in signing up, please visit patreon.com slash Bonhoeffer pod. Special thanks to our patrons, Soren Jensen, Kevin Dextra, Diego Reeve, Chris Baker, JT Caldwell, Wilco Ollies, Chris Sunby, Greg Harbaugh, and Arthur House. So I appreciate all the support that we that have received so far in doing this. And as always, if you liked this episode, please leave a review in your favorite podcast app. It will help others find the show. That'll wrap us up for this episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.